Great, I'm going to pray. And then I'm going to preach from Hebrews chapter 7. So if you've got a Bible, you might want to turn to there. Let's pray once again. Lord God, we thank you for your word. Your word is a lamp to our feet. It guides our steps. You speak wonderful truths to us, Lord God. And we are so grateful for the way you have revealed yourself in scripture to us. Lord, we read the Gospels and we see Jesus Christ, the way he lived, the way he died, the way he rose from the grave, the way he ascended into heaven and is sat at the right-hand side of the Father. We read the Old Testament and see how you orchestrated all of history to reveal Jesus Christ, the coming Saviour, and we rejoice in that. And we read the letters and, and the latter part of the New Testament and there's great doctrine to be taught, there's great instruction on how we should live our lives. Lord, we are so grateful for your word. Lord, we are also so grateful for the gift of the Holy Spirit and we pray he would come amongst us as we read your word. Help us understand it and lead us and guide us this morning that the words I speak might be true and from you and of you and that each of us might receive your word and live it out, live in the truth that we're about to talk about this morning. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. It is a massive uh, shame this morning that we cannot sing out loud, bursting our lungs as much as we possibly can, because I'm preaching on one verse this morning, and the verse I'm preaching on is a verse worth singing about. It's one of my favourite verses in all the Bible, and I hope by the end of this sermon this morning, you're going to be like itching in your seat going, I just want to cry out in praise to our God. And you're going to have to hold back. What did, what did Jason say? Reign it in for the glory of God. You're going to have to reign it in for the glory of God this morning. Um, because this verse, Hebrews 7 verse 25, is packed full of truth. But it's the sort of verse that when you really understand it and believe it, you're going to want to start singing. Because the truth in this verse is transformational and glorious and wonderful and if you if you don't feel like that by the end of the sermon then I've not done my job properly um, so let's let's unpack this verse I'm going to read it and I've been so focused on all social distancing I've forgotten to bring my bible up into the pulpit so I'm going to read it from the screen um, fortunately it's only one verse it's a good thing it's not a, lo- a long passage but this is Hebrews 7 um, verse 25 consequently he Jesus Christ is able to save to the uttermost those who draw near to God through him, since he always lives to make intercession for them. As I say, I love this verse. And the first thing I want us to see in this verse is that Jesus Christ is our complete saviour. Jesus Christ is our complete saviour. This verse doesn't say Jesus is able to save partially. It doesn't say Jesus is able to save just a little bit. It doesn't say Jesus saves us 99% of the way and the last percent is up to us. No, it says Jesus is able to save us to the uttermost. To the uttermost. That word uttermost is the sort of word we don't use in English today anymore. But it means complete. It means entirely. It means perfectly. It mean, it, you can even translate it for all time. And so the writer to the Hebrews in this verse is saying Jesus is our complete saviour. He is able to save us 
to the uttermost, completely, entirely, for all time, even into eternity. The writer of Hebrews leaves us in no doubt at all. Jesus saves completely. And that's one of the reasons why I've chosen this verse this morning, because I feel like this morning is a partial restoration of church. We're not all here, unfortunately. We're doing some weird things. We're sat apart. We're not able to hug and greet one another. It's kind of a partial recommencement of in-person church services. It's not a complete a complete restoration, and we long for that day where we just won't have any restrictions and we'll be able to meet again um, as we have been able to do in the past. But while this is a partial restoration of what church truly is meant to be, this verse speaks of not someone who partially restores, not someone who partially saves, but one who saves completely to the uttermost. Jesus, if you're a Christian this morning, Jesus is your complete saviour. And we needed saving, didn't we? We were lost. We were dead in sin, it says in Ephesians chapter 2. We were far off from God. We had rebelled against him. We had committed crimes against the creator of the world. We were destined for hell. We were shackled by guilt. We were totally depraved and unable to save ourselves. And then Jesus Christ came on a mission to save us. He was born a human being, the Christmas story, which we're so familiar with. He lived a completely, a righteous life to the uttermost. He was good and kind and loving and selfless in all that he did. But he came not just to live. We know, according to the scriptures, he came ultimately to die. He died on the cross. Jesus, our saviour to the uttermost, died on the cross, carrying the sin of the world upon his shoulders, bearing our penalty, our punishment for sin, so that whoever believes on Jesus, whoever looks upon the Son and trusts in him, shall have forgiveness for sin. All who believe in Jesus are justified before God. We're made righteous before God. We stand in God's good books right now because of Jesus' death on the cross. We're forgiven in God the Father's sight. We're guiltless and blameless before the Father because of Jesus' death on the cross. But Jesus, as we know, did not remain in the grave. He rose from the grave. He defeated death. Death could not hold him. The Holy Spirit came and raised him to life. And he rose, defeating death as this amazing message and power to all who believe in him that we might have eternal life. Death has no hold over us. All who trust in Christ, we have been given eternal life through Christ so that we want one day also will be resurrected to stand before the Father blameless in his sight. We will see him in glory and God will rejoice and we will rejoice and we will worship forever in the new heavens and the new earth. Jesus then ascended into heaven and poured out the Holy Spirit, the Spirit of Christ breathed out by Jesus into the world. We cannot see him, we cannot see the Holy Spirit 
but we can see and know his impact in our lives. And as the Spirit is breathed out, Christians don't just hear these truths that I'm I'm talking about. We don't just hear that Jesus died on the cross. We don't just hear that Jesus rose from the grave. We don't just see that written down on a page. No, we experience those things in our lives. We experience the forgiveness that Jesus won for us on the cross. We don't just hear and know that Jesus died on the cross, but we experience that forgiveness by the Holy Spirit's power in our hearts. We don't just we don't just know that Jesus rose from the grave or see or hear that Jesus rose from the grave. We also experience the new life of the Holy Spirit here and now. We experience it, not completely, but in a, in a partial sense, we experience by the Spirit's power these amazing things that Jesus won for us in the past. Jesus is our complete saviour. He's the one who died. He's the one who rose again. He's the one who lived a perfectly righteous life. He's the one who poured out the Holy Spirit so we experience and know these truths in our hearts. Even now, this verse says in Hebrews, Jesus works for us. He sat at the right hand of God the Father and he intercedes on our behalf. He speaks to the Father for us. And what Jesus is is speaking is he's speaking to the Father so that Jesus' work in the past on the cross and in his resurrection from the dead is applied to transform our present and our future. Jesus Christ speaks to the Father and says, I died for Duncan. He's forgiven in your sight. He can come into your presence with confidence. He's forgiven. Receive receive Duncan. He's your son because I died for him, Father. I died on the cross and I rose again to give him eternal life. Duncan has eternal life. Treat him as such, Heavenly Father. Jesus intercedes in heaven for you right now if you're a Christian. It's just amazing to think about, isn't it? That your name would be on Jesus' lips as he speaks to the Father. You know, there are some churches here in the United Kingdom, even here in this town of Fareham, who believe that God justifies you, who believe that um, God forgives us, even believe that, that God regenerates us, gives us the Holy Spirit and makes us new. But then they teach that the rest is up to you. You've been given salvation, but you can fall away and lose it in the rest of your life. That Jesus has done his work in the past and now he's sat doing nothing in heaven on our behalf. But that is plainly not true. That is plainly... Oh, the camera's just made a weird noise there. Beautiful. (laughs) That is plainly not true because if Jesus Christ saved us to a point of justification and then just leaves us to get on with it, then Jesus is not a complete saviour, is he? He's just a partial saviour. He saves us to this point in our life, but he's not saving us into eternity as the Bible teaches. The reality of the Bible that is spoken about is way more beautiful. Philippians 1 verse 6, this is Paul speaking about the salvation that Jesus Christ, our complete saviour, has won for us. Paul writes, I am sure of this. That he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion. Paul the Apostle is absolutely certain that when God starts a salvation work in the heart of someone, when he regenerates, when he justifies, when he pours out the Spirit upon them and gives them new life, he will then intercede for them on on their behalf forever and ever into eternity. So the one that is saved and trusts in Christ receives salvation 
um, and God will bring it to completion. Jude 24 says this, Now to him who is able to keep you from stumbling and to present you blameless before the presence of his glory with great joy, be honour and glory and power and dominion. God is the him in that verse in Jude 24. He is able to keep you from stumbling and he is able to present you blameless before the presence of God in his glory with great joy. Well, how about this? Romans 8 verses 29 to 30. It's called the golden chain of salvation. This is what it says in Romans 8. For those whom God foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his son in order that he might be the firstborn among many brothers. And those whom he predestined, he also called. And those whom he called, he also justified. And those whom he justified, he also glorified. That glorifying moment is the moment where we will stand before our creator at the end of time and enter into eternity. All who are justified, all who have believed in Christ for salvation, have been made new by the Holy Spirit, will also be glorified in heaven in eternal life. It's not possible for someone to be justified one day before God and not the next. Because Romans 8 says, those whom he justified, he glorifies. That's a promise of scripture, that if you have been justified, you will be glorified in heaven. It's not possible for one person to be justified one day and not the next, because that would make Jesus an incomplete saviour. It would make him a saviour who has not saved us to the uttermost. It's not possible because it would mean that the intercession of Jesus Christ in heaven fails. Can you imagine Jesus interceding, speaking to the Father on our behalf and his intercession failing? No, no. Jesus is our complete saviour. Trust him today. Put your faith in him today. Throw your life upon Jesus Christ this morning because he is the one who can save you completely. And all who are justified through faith, by grace, through faith in Jesus Christ, are given the gift of eternal life. For God so loved the world that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life, not life up until they're 40 years old and then they fall away and lose their salvation, but eternal life. Some of you this morning think that your good works contribute to salvation. You know, you're robbing Jesus of the glory he deserves. Your good works do not contribute to your salvation. Jesus is your complete saviour. Now, good works are fruit of the salvation we have received and all Christians should be living out good works in, in because Jesus has saved us, because he's saved us completely, we then walk in good works. But don't think those good works contribute to your salvation as if you, you need those good works in order to earn your way into God's good favour. That's to undermine Jesus Christ because Jesus is the one who saves you to the uttermost. That's why we sing, that's why we praise him, because he is the one who saves us completely. That's my first point this morning. Jesus Christ is our complete saviour. He saves us to the uttermost. Secondly, I want to think about what's happening in Hebrews 7 verse 25. Because in this verse we have a picture of the present love of Jesus in action. 
If I, if I asked you, does Jesus love you this morning? I hope you would say yes and say it strongly and confidently. But I think often when we think of the love of Christ, we think of the cross, don't we? We think of Jesus dying on the cross for our sins. And that's absolutely right. The cross is the pinnacle of Jesus showing his love for us. He loved us so much that he bore the agony of crucifixion in order to save us. Such love, such amazing love for us. But that was an act in the past. And so I wonder, if I asked you, does Jesus love you right now, whether you might, you might have doubts about that. Sometimes, sometimes I feel unloved in my life, and it's stupid because of the truth of the, the Bible and the truth of Jesus' death on the cross. Sometimes we struggle to just comprehend and believe that Jesus really loves us, you know, particularly on those really bad days where we've sinned and we've messed up and we've not loved and we've missed an opportunity to share the gospel out of fear or we've been selfish or we've been angry. In those days when we're feeling really bad about ourselves, we can doubt whether Jesus really loves us. I hope I'm not the only one. Sometimes feel like that. But what we have in Hebrews 7 verse 25 is a wonderful picture of how Jesus shows his love for us today, right now. It says he is able to save us to the uttermost since he always lives to make intercession for us. Right now, Jesus shows his love for you because he is sitting at the right hand of God the Father and interceding for you. You know, sometimes in church we speak about intercessory prayer. Have you ever heard about intercessory prayer? It's where, where I might pray for someone else in the church. I'm interceding for them. I'm coming to the Father. Maybe I'm praying for a non-Christian friend. Or maybe I'm praying for someone else in the church. I'm interceding on someone's behalf. Well, Jesus is speaking to God the Father in heaven on our behalf. As I said early, earlier, isn't that wonderful? Jesus continually speaking about me and about you, if you're a Christian, to the Father. Your name is on his lips. Jesus is saying, I died for this person. Father, receive him. Father, receive her. He or she is part of the family of God. I love them, and Father, therefore you love them because they are in me. They are united with me in my death and resurrection. I just think that is a glorious heavenly thought, isn't it? To think of God the Son speaking to God the Father about you and me is just amazing. Now, I don't want to portray the Father as cold-hearted and unloving in this verse. It's not as if God the Father wakes up every morning and needs convincing by Jesus Christ to love us again. That's not how it is. Um, God the Father is also a God of love. But this verse is about the love of Christ the Son. God the Father delights to hear the intercession of God the Son. He, he loves it. He loves to hear what Jesus is saying. So Jesus is saying, receive Duncan, love him, care for him. He can draw near to you. And the Father's responding, of course I will. I love Duncan. He's part of my fa- I'm his father. He's part of my family. I, I mean, I keep saying it, but I just think this is amazing to think that that's going on in heaven for you if you are a Christian. Get excited about this truth. 
Let it warm your hearts this morning. Let your mind be buzzing with the ideas expressed in this verse. Be supremely frustrated that we cannot sing, for boy, do we have something worth singing about. Right now, God the Son and God the Father speak about us, and God the Son intercedes on our behalf. The second person of the Trinity, the Son of God, the Alpha and Omega, the one through whom all creation, everything in creation, all things were created, he is in heaven interceding for you right now. He's expressing his love for you, speaking sweet truths into the ear of God the Father. He is able to do this for he lives, for he rose from the grave and he will always live. Since he has risen, since he has defeated death, he will live forever and therefore he will forever intercede on our behalf to God the Father. Jesus' love for us is deep, wonderful and eternal. And it's not just a love expressed in the past on the cross. It's a love that's being expressed every single moment in heaven. Jesus loves you. I think lockdown has, one of the challenges of of lockdown has been that it's accentuated and exacerbated kind of internal worry and anxiety and fear and anything that we struggled with in the past has kind of been amplified by being stuck at home and and so I just want to encourage you Jesus loves you he has not neglected you he has not deserted you he is in control of all things and he is expressing his love for you right now in heaven he loves you he loves you he loves you The third thing I want us to see in this verse is that Jesus' love does not wax and wane depending on how sinful you might have been in a day or a week. You know, we have this false picture of Jesus' love, don't we? We think when we're good, when we read the Bible in the morning, when we pray in the morning, when we're extra spiritual, when we're prophesying, when we're praying for others, when we're feeling strong in the Lord, that's when Jesus really loves us, when we're in those moments. If you ever, as I mentioned, if you've ever gone through a day and you feel a bit rubbish and you start to think that Jesus' love starts to wane for you because of how sinful you've been. That's what we think. When we're bad, when we're selfish, when we're greedy, Jesus' love for us decreases. We we. we Sometimes we even preach that to ourselves in the way we're thinking. God can't possibly love me right now. This verse in Hebrews tells us, if anything, the opposite is true. If anything, the opposite is true. I'm reading this fantastic book um, by a guy called Dane Ortland, and it's all about Jesus' heart for sinners. And this is what he writes. Those crevices of sin, those places where we are most ashamed, most defeated, are themselves the places where Christ loves us the most. His heart willingly goes there. His heart is most strongly drawn there. He knows us to the uttermost because his heart is drawn out to us to the uttermost. We cannot sin our way out of his tender care. We cannot sin our way out of his tender care. If Christ saves us to the uttermost, 
It's where our sin is at its worst that Christ's love and salvation work most beautifully. It's those crevices, those dark places, those worst moments where Jesus' love is most plainly seen on the cross and in his intercession for us on our behalf. And I feel like it's in those moments where we're in those most sinful of places where Jesus intercedes most zealously. Do you you see? If Jesus is interceding, it's in in those moments where, where I mess up or where you mess up, where Jesus is saying, receive him still, Father. I still love him. I still die for him. He's still beloved. He's still accepted. He still can enter into your presence. It's where we're most sinful, where Jesus' love works most hard to enter into those dark places and those dark crevices. So I want to say Jesus' love does not wax or wane depending on how you're doing today. It's grace. It's unmerited favour. Christ's love does not depend on how good you are or how bad you are. It depends on his love and his intercession and his death upon the cross, which is an eternal thing that happened in the past. And his intercession is an eternal thing happening right now and will continue to happen forever. So Christian, do not think Jesus' love for you decreases when you sin. It's a lie of Satan. If you have believed and trusted in Christ, Jesus will love you forever and his love for you will never decrease. Nothing can separate us from the love of Christ. Not height, nor depth, nor angels, nor demons, nor anything in all creation can separate us from the love of Christ. His salvation to the uttermost reaches into your uttermost crevices of sin to rescue you. Fourthly, and finally this morning, Hebrews 7 verse 25 gives us a new way of defining who a Christian is. The writer to the Hebrews describes Christians in this verse as those who draw near to God. Those who draw near to God through Christ. You might think the teaching that I'm bringing this morning produces lazy, complacent, sinful Christians. You know, I believed in Christ, I'm saved, I've been justified, I therefore will be glorified. I'm going to do whatever I like. I'm going to be lazy, I'm going to be complacent, I'm going to even, I might even sin even more in order that Jesus' love might be shown even more for me in in heaven as he intercedes. That's what you might, that's what you might think this teaching produces. I tell you that this is that is not what this teaching produces in true Christians. That's not how the true Christian responds to this kind of teaching. In true believers, Christians who've been made new by the power of the Holy Spirit, we hear this glorious truth that Jesus is a complete saviour, that he has saved us to the uttermost, that his love for us reaches even into the darkest moments, that his love for us does not wax or wane depending on how sinful we've been. We hear this truth and it produces in us a love of God. I don't know, when I read this verse, my heart is warmed up with love for Christ, for his love that he's pouring into me. And therefore, we don't think I'm going to be lazy. We don't think I'm going to be complacent. We don't think I'm going to sin all the more in order that Jesus might intercede for me all the more. No, instead, we draw near to God. I love God. He loves me so much. I'm going to draw close to him. You know, the people you love the most in life 
are the people you draw close to. You don't, someone doesn't love you and therefore you just ignore them completely. You know, you, they love you and therefore you draw closer to them because of the love that they are pouring out. And it's the same with God. As he pours out his eternal love upon us as Christians, we draw near to him. In fact, as we hear about the love of Christ, we draw near with greater zeal. We draw near in prayer. We draw near in worship. We draw near in song when we can. We draw near in praise. We draw near in moments of silence, listening to God. We draw near by reading God's word and let it saturate us and let us meditate on it and understand it and grow in it. We we draw near to God by admiring creation. I I hope you've been enjoying kind of times outside and walks. I know people have done more walking in lockdown um, by themselves. Those have been wonderful opportunities to observe creation and and be draw near, near to God as you just observe all the wonderful things he has created. Draw near to God in evangelism by telling others that I, it's, it's in those moments where I'm speaking the gospel to other people that God feels most near to me. So evangelism is a way of drawing near to God. Draw near to God in confession. Jesus, you need to intercede on my behalf for I have sinned and I've done things wrong. Forgive me. And Jesus says, I've already forgiven you. I'm interceding for you right now to the Father, and the Father accepts you. Draw near in conviction of sin and resolution to sin less. If this is the love of Christ, that he loves me forever and ever and ever, with a deep love, he loved me so much that he died for me, and he loved me so much now that he's interceding and speaking of me now. If this is the love of Christ, I want to be with him, and near to him always, in all things. This is who Christians are in Hebrews 7 verse 25. They are the ones who draw near to God through Christ. If you want to know God the Father, if you want to get close to God the Father, the only way to do that is through Jesus Christ. He is the way the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through Jesus. And so when we're reading the Gospels and seeing Jesus in the Gospels, we're drawing near to the Father as we see the Father's love and character shown by God the Son's love and character here on the earth. You can't draw near to the Father without doing it through Jesus Christ. And this is who Christians are. Those who draw near to God the Father through Jesus Christ, God the Son, in the power of the Holy Spirit, God the third person of the Trinity. And so we put our faith in Jesus Christ this morning once again. We put our faith in the one who saves us to the uttermost, the one who always lives. We put our faith in him, the one who rose from the grave. We put our faith in him, the one who lives to intercede for us. We put our faith in him so that his death and resurrection, those historic events of the past, those acts of love that Jesus did in the past, are applied to our present and our future so we can experience the closeness of God here and now. Brothers and sisters, I want to I want us to rejoice in this verse. I want us to go home and sing by ourselves because of how amazing this verse is. I want us to to put to just trust Christ even more. I want us to know the love of Christ even more in our hearts. And I want us to tran- that to transform the way we live. Always drawing near, always trusting, always going to God. What would our lives look like if we were just experiencing this closeness of God in everything we did? You know, we're two metres apart this morning as we sit in the room 
God is way closer than that. God is way closer than that. He is in your heart by the Holy Spirit. And the Spirit of Christ come to, so that you might experience and know this truth of God the Father and God the Son in heaven pouring out their love upon you. And so I finish with that most basic but most wonderful of points again. Jesus Christ loves you. He loves you. He died to save you in the past, yes. And that was the pinnacle of him showing his great love. But even now, he speaks your name. He intercedes on your behalf. He loves you. And we respond, don't we, by loving him back. I'm going to pray for us as we draw to a close. The sermon part, anyway. Lord Jesus Christ, thank you for your love for us. You loved us you, so much you went to the cross to rescue us from our sin. And even now, you express your perfect, complete love for us by interceding on our behalf. Thank you, Lord Jesus, for justification. We stand righteous before God our Father in heaven because of your death and resurrection. Thank you for eternal life, which you have given to us, which you have won for us in your resurrection. And so we we pray with confidence in our glorification. Those whom you justify, you will glorify. And we look to that day when we will stand before you and see you face to face. And we look forward to that moment with great joy. And I know, Lord, you look forward to that moment with great joy. It'll bring you great joy to let us enter into glory. We thank you that you are able to keep us from stumbling. We thank you that we can be sure that you who began a good work in us will bring it to completion. We thank you that you do not leave us on our own, but you intercede for us right now in heaven. What a glorious, glorious thought. We are unworthy. We are sinners. We are rebels. You have made us saints and you speak of us in heavenly glory. I pray that the love of Christ would transform our hearts right now that we might love you more, that we might draw near to God the Father through Christ all the more zealously this morning and the rest of this week and forevermore. Lord, I have not given many practical pointers in my sermon this morning, but I pray that that transformation of heart would transform every area of our lives so that we might live in glory to you. Teach us this truth. Write it on our hearts and minds and write it on our lives. Thank you that you save us to the uttermost and we glorify and praise you, our complete Saviour, Jesus Christ, this morning. In Jesus' name. Amen.